Hey Gladiator, we have gotten your emails, seen your comments and messages and we're answering yes to the call. We're going to be having a live taping of the Good Guest Monday season finale. It's happening on Monday, May 20, 2019. And if you'd like to be a part of our live studio audience right here in Kingston, Jamaica, please send me an email at killfearnow at gmail.com so we can add you to the list. Hurry up, spaces are limited and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Greetings and blessings. Welcome to another episode of Good Guest Mondays with me, Crystal Tomlinson. And as usual, I have a guest with me in studio online in your phone app, wherever it is you're joining me. I want you to know that I have a guest with me. Sometimes I'm brave and bold enough to go and find the information myself and share it with you. And it's just me and you having a one-on-one. -on -one. But there are days when I know that there are other energies with far more experience and perspectives that could bless you more than my mouth and my ideas ever could. So today I'm joined by an academic, artist, activist, self-care and self-healing advocate, Carla Moore. Multidimensional, and I love them kind of people that we don't just do one thing, so when you introduce them, you have to talk about three, four, five, six, seven different work, because it suggests to me that you're properly in tune with all your talents. There is never a one single only thing that you're supposed to be doing on this earth. True. And if you're really growing, then you're going to grow into multiple talents. And that's what I'm seeing here with adjunct lecturer at the Institute for Gender and Development Studies, Mona um, Carla Moore. So let's kick it off with a nice introduction now. Energy-wise, like if I never knew all the things that you were doing, right? I close my eye and you're walking out of the room. What would you want me to imagine Carla as? If I were to walk into a room and somebody had their eye closed, what they would, I would want them to imagine me as somebody with a clean heart and a strong voice. Yeah. I feel like sometimes when we think about clean heart people, we think about humble people, there's a way that we can undermine that these are also powerful people. But no, I'm afraid my advice now, I mean I use it. Yes. So yeah. And, and a strong voice that speaks in patois. Ah, <laughs> nice. Well, well, let's explore that a little bit because in Jamaica, we're having this discussion about English language and proper English, right. as we like to call it, being our first language. Mm -hmm. And there are linguists among us who will tell you, no, that's not really your first language. It might be your official one. Mm -hmm. But your first language is Patois, Creole, yes. Jamaican English, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then very recently, the discussion was, do we want teachers to teach in Creole? Here, here, here. So let me bring my perspective. Yes, Lord. Why well, do you think teacher didn't look for permission for teaching a patwa? One, right? Precisely. Because I went to school and teacher taught patwa. Yeah. But what do you think is the underlying concern now why most people are saying, no, 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 patwa has no place in the formal education system and it's not appropriate? The underlying concern in that debate is one of the primary underlying issues that we have as a society is that we're carrying colonial baggage mm -hmm. and we are very distant from ourselves and we have actually vilified the things that are non-European about us. Uh. Patwa exists. If a child doesn't go into the formal schooling system, they are going to talk Patwa. You can make a whole life talking Patwa. You can have an entire business, make a whole heap of money, send your people go to university talking on the Patwa. The thing that you cannot do is to function comfortably in quote-unquote refined spaces. And I'm very careful about the quote-unquote. And the primary reason you cannot function comfortably in those spaces is not that the people can't understand you, is that they won't accommodate you because they're very invested in feeling superior to you because of their alignment with English. Mm -hmm. The primary sum is 
the colonial project was very good at separating us from ourselves and actually setting us at odds with ourselves. And when I'm talking about ourselves, I'm talking about our African selves. So that's the reason people don't want Pato. And then the other thing is, Jamaica is a pretty stratified society. Right? You shove out your picnic, you shove them out early, and you try to give them the best opportunities because quote unquote again, opportunities are few. Okay. My child being able to speak perfect English is advantageous to my child and sets them apart inside of an economy that feels like it's very competitive. Now, if me, I'm a teacher, go drop patwa for my good clean picnic, whom you try to keep away from patwa and all of the bungle that is associated with it from time, <laughs> then my picnic just like a drop down the ranks, right? And I see it all the time. Somebody style you, you just draw for your English and make them not say you have your degrees. I can't imagine why you would think that you could speak to me in that manner, right? And all of a sudden, you because you can't draw, because I went there, so I know, right? And we start rolling up the mouth and everything. And the fact that we can't speak English so good, it's supposed to just make the person feel bad about themselves because they can't meet us there, right? Unless they dip and come up, because you know there's a, there's a dip and a come up. That you can do to just narrow down that equation there. Yes, 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 yes. So already, right, I'm getting the energy that you want me to get. If I had closed my eyes, nice, clean out woman from Jamaica, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Using of the language in a way that it is meant to be used, which is to communicate ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think we, you're absolutely right. We deliberately set a, a marker between us and them mm -hmm. because we speak and sound like we're brighter. Yes. And no matter how well we understand what you're saying, you can't speak and sound bright like me. Yes. Mega Guan. Like say we're not on the same page. We aren't we're not even in the same book. <laughs> not even in the same book. <laughs> well, walk walk me through um life for Carla. Growing up, where did you grow up? What were some of your, your big takeaways in childhood, teenage years, transitional moments? Just walk me through young Carla. Um, I grew up in Lindsay, St. Catherine. Uh, from birth to maybe about 11, 12. I moved into Kingston when I started Campion. So I grew up on a farm. And I grew up with five brothers, which means that I can fight. Doesn't mean that I will win. But I can fight. <laughs> right? So growing up as the only girl with that many boys, uh, you learn quickly about adaptability and also the power of your own voice and when you need to use it. So I didn't have any other girls to play with. You want to play with Dolly? Go play by yourself. You want to play with we? You try to take up a piece of something and start back the ball. Right? So you learn, the thing that I learned early is how to fit into spaces with people who were not like me because that's where my company was. But then I also learned how to make company with myself. There are people who will see me and tell me, you act like an only child. And I'm like, yes, I spent a lot of time talking to myself and just hanging out with myself. So you learn to be alone. Uh, growing up in a non-urban area teaches you to be still and it teaches you how to be comfortable with no activity. We're very tied to activity. I still don't feel fully comfortable in urban spaces. I remember when we moved to town in 1994. I lived here until 2008 and then I moved to Montego Bay, which is another city. I still feel it at ease in urban spaces because there's so much happening. And I'm like, but when you're doing so many things, do you ever just sit down and be? Do you ever just actually go out and walk in nature? Do you ever pay attention to the animals around you? Is there any peace? So you learn how to be comfortable with not much activity. You learn how to be inside of your mind and at peace there. Uh, I was growing up, I've been this size for a long time. Mm -hmm. I went into high school this size basically. I grew three quarters of an inch in high school. The only thing that happened is I got wider. 
Ah. Right? So growing up for me, there was a lot of issues, insecurities that I had to go through and kind of come up, come over because I'm big and my mother is very small and she's very small and very brown. So I am this big, darker skinned girl growing up with this teeny tiny Indian looking mother. And no matter how much she tells you, you're beautiful and you have value in your own right, there's a way that it's hard for you to believe it because all of your reference points for what beauty is come from somebody who, don't, who doesn't look like you, right? So one of the things that young Carla had to grapple with was where is my worth? What is my value? Will anybody ever love me? Will anybody ever want me romantically? And will, ever, will I ever feel beautiful? Mm -hmm. And it's not until much later that I can articulate that these are the questions I was having, but I always had them. Moving into Kingston and going to Campion, which is basically a beauty queen factory, Never <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying. You understand what I'm saying. It's very pretty over there, and it's very pretty in the very traditional ways. Mm -hmm. So I moved in. First of all, there's nobody from my first school there. I come from country. They're asking me if I know how to use a microwave. They're asking me if I know what a satellite dish is, and I'm like, oh. but I wasn't Anxiety. even. Anxiety. Yeah. I wasn't even deeply in control of myself enough to be offended. I was just madly hurt. I was mm -hmm. like, oh my. What? But the worst thing is I had a microwave and a satellite dish because I came from the town part of country. But <laughs> well, just the fact that I never come from Kingston gave me these issues. So everybody come oh. from Vaz Prep and Stella Marys and they know each other and I had no counterparts there. So I mean one, right? Went into Campion, had to deal with a whole new <laughs> set up definitions of what it meant to be a human, what it meant to be Jamaican, the correct way to be Kingstonian. And even if you don't come from that class background, because I say like I'm an upper middle class rural person, you come to Campion, you are uptown adjacent, right? So you are thrust, thrust into the bowels of the uptown and you just have to swim. So you grow up, <laughs> you make your friendship them. You have a good time. I want to be clear. Campion is not as horrible as people make it out to be. People will be like, oh, I've never seen a campionite at the bus stop. Oh, because I was standing there. There was a flock of us in the purple and white at the bus stop. Taking the bus stop. Uh, they're on the second shift. The bus stop people are on the second <laughs> shift. They have a tendency to come from Portmore and the surrounding areas they have to bus in. <laughs> to be clear, stop telling I'm a school. Good. So I had to go through figuring myself out in that setting, mm -hmm. right? How to be academically excellent as somebody who don't like school. I've never liked school, it's ironic that I'm a teacher now, right? I don't know how they allow it, but God bless the universe. Go through that, go to UE. UE was significant for me because UE is the place where I recognize that I was an artist. Mm -hmm. So I joined the Drama Society, I became the president of the Drama Society. You know, wear a uniform again so you can express yourself. Nudity was my preferred outfit, and I never really cared that the body was hanging or big or any of those types of things that people had problems with because I was like, I'm my body, I'm going to do what I want to do with it. University is where I discovered myself as an artist. Campion is where I discovered myself as an individual because I was like, I don't know if I fit in carefully here, but I'm making it through and I'm going to make a space for myself. And I found friends and I found community. UA is where I recognize myself as an artist, and I recognize that. There's something creative in me and there's something that I can do that can bring people joy. Yeah. There is something that I can do that can make people feel better. And there is a way that I can communicate with people from a stage that is different from a conversation. And it was wonderful to feel myself expanding into that and learning that new language. Post UA, I work for government. 
because you have to put in a time working for the government. So I did work for the government. I worked at the Ministry of Health. I was a behavior change communication officer for the National HIV program, right? Yes. This was the beginning of a long history of people believing in me more than I believed in myself. Because somebody literally was like, apply for the job. I said, no. First of all, it says national. Okay. <laughs> clearly a local girl or a regional girl, like a community girl. You don't have a community thing and they're like, apply for the walk. So I applied for the job and I got it. And I was astounded every day that I held on to the job. I'm like, how is this possible? Correct. <laughs> and I did it. And it's something that has actually followed me through life that people have believed in me before I was able to believe in myself. And then I had a massive mental breakdown. I moved to Mobe. <laughs> oh, so that transition from Kingston Urban to Mobe Urban yes, was, was related. It was me just running away. Well, literally. I wanted to go back to something that you shared yeah. while at Campion. That that questioning your worthiness in the space. Mm-hmm. Do you know what my or satellite dish? Mm-hmm. And although the answer to those questions was yes, mm-hmm. somehow there was still a feeling of inadequacy mm-hmm. in there. How and I can think in, in big people spaces mm-hmm. now. How many of us answer yes to the questions and still feel inadequate? Most of us. And why? Why is it that you have all that you need, mm-hmm. even the things that you don't need, mm-hmm. you have it, but in the space you feel inadequate, unprepared, unready, undeserving? Because the feeling is not actually linked to what you have or don't have. The feeling is linked to a story that you're telling yourself about yourself. Mm-hmm. And probably a story that other people have told you about yourself. And the harder thing to do is to let go of the idea that there is anything that will ever make you feel inadequate and go and sit with that in your silent spaces on a day when I have nothing to do, when everything is in place, my bills are paid, I have a partner, they want about it, I still feel bad. Why? Okay. Yeah. So what is the thing that you need to love out of yourself so that you can heal through it and come back? There's a lot of things telling you that you're inadequate, you know. If you are a black person, they're telling you that your body is basically pathological. They're telling you that your people are stupid. They're telling you that you are worthless and you are lazy. If you are a woman, they're telling you that your body is public property, that it is fundamentally dirty, that you are not as smart as anybody else, that you are not as good as anybody else. If you go start adding things like if you are queer, if you are living with a disability, all of these things add up. We come from a developing country. Right? You're not from a first world nation. On any given day, you are ingesting at least 15 images that are telling you that people like you are worthless. And most of us don't actually sit down to combat that. We just swallow them. Yeah. Right? Laugh and go. They say, oh my God, America for fooling. Mm-hmm. So then you try to degrade the country or you try to degrade the people who you feel are superior to you, thinking it's going to make you feel better, but you've never actually gone to yourself to say, actually, do you know you're good enough? You're enough. You're actually good enough and it's fine. The way you are is fine. I love you the way you are. One of the things that I had to start doing with myself is I have pictures of myself on my mirror when I'm a baby, when I'm in prep school, and when I'm in high school. And every day I talk to them and I tell them, I love you. I will never forsake you. I'm going to show up for you. Whatever it is that you need, I'm an adult now. I can give it to you. Whatever are the things that you went through, I will heal from them for you. We are going to be okay. Because mm. a lot of times, we experience trauma at different points yeah. and we don't go back and fix it. And that's what leaves you with the core feeling of inadequacy. We don't focus on healing. I'm going to advise you to just press pause. If you're watching this on video, if you are listening on the app, just press pause, take a deep breath and answer that question. Is there a point of trauma that you need to heal from? Is there? It might take you a couple to answer it because we're good at burying and you know, making the thing 
get coated with other things so it don't look as bad as we know it really is. Is there a point of trauma that you need to heal from? And if the answer is yes, and you can bring into memory what that thing is and who the responsible parties are, can you find that other human who is responsible and talk it through? And if you can't, can you sit with yourself in that silent space over time, every day for 10 minutes, every day for one hour, and get to a place of healing? Now, you have a powerful business called Honey and Lime. And the focus of Honey and Lime, Honey and Lime, are those three touch points, self-love, self-care, self-healing. Why did you pick those three things? I, I picked those three things because those were three things that I needed for myself. And when I looked at the people around me, I could see where not addressing those areas of their lives were holding them back in different ways. When I started Honey Lime, and it started in December of 2017, we, the, the, the thing I was going with was look good, feel good, do good, right? Similar energy, um, especially the do good aspect of it, which is around give back. And then I did a workshop called Love Yourself Free around Valentine's Day. And I was trying to break down what am I going to talk about? How am I? So it was me, Susie Ratigan, and Kimberly Gogo. And what are we going to do in this workshop? And what came out there is that three, those three things self-love, self-care, and self-healing. I recognize that most of us don't take care of ourselves. We don't. You push your body to the limit mm -hmm. because we feel that's what productivity looks like. Being burnt out is what productivity looks like. Most of us don't even like our bodies. We don't like the way that they look and so we don't actually take care of them because it's just this thing that we're living inside of that we have a contentious relationship with. We don't stop to think, am I putting the right oils on my skin? Am I drinking the right amount of fluid? Am I taking supplements so that I can extend the longevity of my body? You don't recognize that for people who come from oppressed groups, everything in the world is basically telling you that you're not supposed to be here. And when you make a decision that you are going to do things to stay here longer, Audre Lorde is not wrong. It is an act of political warfare. It is an act of political warfare for you to stay here beyond when they thought you should be here, right? So we don't care for ourselves. We don't really love ourselves. Who we'll have a conversation with you as a little bit about self-love? Who did sit down and tell you to love yourself? It's just know that we can't even start to tell little girls, your dark skin is pretty, as opposed to you're pretty for a black girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, your body is fine the way it is, as opposed to you're pretty for a fat girl. I had one of my friends one time actually tell me that my body was letting down my face, that I was too pretty to have a body like this, right? Who is having a conversation with us about self-love? Do we even live in a culture where love is something that we are talking about in a significant way? Because we talk love, you know, but we don't practice it. We don't practice it and we don't practice, we don't practice communication with the self. We're very externally oriented. I'm doing things so that you're going to think I'm okay. It has nothing to do with how I feel. I'm doing things so that you're going to give me ratings. It has nothing to do with the actual quality of my life. I have to come back to a place of self-love and self-healing. Self-healing came to me from looking at elders and the stereotype of the Jamaican granny, mm. right? And this idea that as you get older, you just get curmudgeonly, you don't like nobody, people don't want to come around you, you're basically a pain. And I said, okay, Carla, if you can step back from this idea that this woman is really a stress into your inside, why do we become that way? People are not fundamentally bad. People carry pain and it causes them to act in certain ways. What is the thing? Most of them never have time to heal. 
they don't heal. Something happens to you, you just get up and go work the next day. Because there's no room for it. There there's is no, no conversation room. that you can have. There's no facilitator who can guide you to that path. So you just keep moving. And there's no space. And then you have to think about the impact of poverty. When you are on the brink of survival, you don't have time to stop and deal with those things. It's about the next meal. And most of us exist in survival mode. Even those of us who have our basic needs met, we don't know how to move out of survival mode. So we just keep moving. You don't stop and check in with yourself. A relationship done. Do you do an audit? Do you say, what did I learn and what did I lose in that relationship? What do I need to reclaim? What do I need to change about myself so I don't attract the next partner in the same type of energy? Yeah. Right? We don't think about healing. So we just carry the baggage. And actually, because we want to justify carrying the baggage, we talk about people who try to put the baggage down like themselves. And then we go, oh, you're in a therapy. So you just like, sit down one hour a week and get the people that all of your money for listening to you. I mean, would I listen to you for free? I'm trying to get better. No, sir, you're too weak. You make everything bother you. Mm. Right? And that is a defense mechanism because you're looking at a set of people who have had to deal with extreme poverty, who have had to come through slavery, who have had to shut down the soft parts of themselves as a means of surviving in the world, and who don't know how to reactivate them and don't know how to teach your, the, the youth to, to activate them. Right? So I looked at the elders and I'm like, every older person in my life could be different if at some point they had stopped and seen about healing from the trauma that they went through. And I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to age into this calcified, stiff, older person. Bitter, miserable. miserable life, life, nobody. No. And go church religiously every yes. Sunday, Wednesday night, yes. Bible study, Figure watch nice, everything. People. I want to mellow. Yeah. We want to become one of them nice old people that were very sickled in themselves and they just put on them colors and them scarf and them come out and see them in them big old glasses and them trendy and them alright for no the new slang them because they don't feel threatened by youth. Like I'm alright, but one more the new time then when my hour. Insert reference to Faye Ellington, right? <laughs> when I get older and I have a head full of grey, I somehow want to roll. Mm. Right? I wanna be on Twitter. Yes. I wanna be starting a new job, yes. hosting a new pro- that, like that's how I want to yes. I want to be able to step into the role as an elder, yeah. not as an old, old man. Yeah, yeah, not as old. As, as old. Because when I am securing myself and I understand the wisdom that I have to give, your youth does not threaten me. And so I looked at it and I was like, in every area of our lives, if and I was thinking about it specifically as myself as a black Caribbean woman, mm-hmm. if I was allowed to attend to those things about myself, I can already tell that my life would feel different. And I'm unwilling to keep living the same year over and over again and calling it a life. So at some point, I have to step in on my own behalf and stop it. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And so Honey and Lime came out of a need to create that. And then I couldn't find products sometimes in the West. I couldn't find crystals. You know, I would want like bath bombs. I would want like really Afrocentric focus things. I would want a workshop that is around personal development and self-actualization and them some they run up in a kingston mm-hmm. but they're harder to find outside of the country and i was like you know what carlo everything that you can't find is an opportunity to create it yeah. and so i created it and that's how we got money and life and so the business is based in hanover is it's tech-based web-based where, where it's, so it's an it? online store i am on instagram and facebook at honey and lime ja now if you go to honey and lime and you don't add the ja you'll find another fabulous black woman but it's not me <laughs> I am Honey and Lime, J-A, mm-hmm. right? So you can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Instagram, and I ship everywhere in the world. I deliver worldwide. Uh, a lot of things that I do are handcrafted, 
um, and I work with local artisans as well. I am very particular about keeping my prices competitive because I find that a lot of the products and services that people need for self-actualization the people who need them the most can't afford them, uh, right? And it's one of the things, because I work with students and I can see that if I had been able to afford some of the things that were available a little earlier, maybe my life would have burst forth in a different way earlier. So I try to keep the prices as low as I can, which does mean that I cut into my own profit margin in some way. But for now, I am okay twinning my business with my social political purpose, right? There are other ways for me to make money. I have other areas that I can draw on. I'm okay having this be something that does something for me, but also a way that I can bring more people to their true selves. What, what would you define your social political purpose as? My social political purpose is the advancement of the country, the advancement of humans through the advancement of the individual, through the healing and the wholeness of the individual. I think that a lot of what we face as social issues are actually individual issues that are coalescing and actually just kind of settling down on each other. And I think if we get serious about helping people get clear on who they are, their value and where they should be, then a lot of these things will fall away. What would you add at whatever level in the education system, what would you add in the school curriculum to answer that same, that same question? What one thing could we do with children now? Have a frank conversation with them about <clears throat> race and about the, la the lasting impact of colonialism and about their specific position in the world as Caribbean people. Because I think, first of all, we don't like to deal with race. In Jamaica, we talk about class level, right? You have the Halion people, we talk about class level. But a lot of times, classes are standing for race in Jamaica. Right? And so we are going through issues that are specific to black people, but we don't talk about the fact that we are black people. When we have a discussion about being black people, it is often a follow-on of a conversation that black Americans are having, but they come from a developed country and their issues are different. They have first world status. It changes it, right? I think if we talk to young people about how it is that colonialism plays and replays and replays and how it has shaped the world that they know around them, then they can stop just taking it for granted that a solid thing set. Every time I hear that phrase, it upsets me. Stop taking it for granted that it's a solid thing set. See how the thing came to be set in that way and understand that if you can see it, you can navigate your way out of it. And the other thing is to let young people understand you have intrinsic value. Mm -hmm. It is not about what you get in pep. It is not about your grades. It is not about how many degrees you have. Yes, those things are good, and those things are important to navigate on a world stage, but even if you don't do those things, you have intrinsic value. And if you understand that you have intrinsic value, then when a person starts to treat you outside of your worth, you nick that. And that would cure any number of things, right? We have an issue where we, because we have been cultured to actually be anti-black. We don't like each other. I don't that's like the blackness fact. of you. Yeah. Like that's a fact. Yes. I don't like the blackness of your face. I don't like the way that you laugh and it's not a hoo 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 because that feels like a European laugh and whoa everybody feels like an African laugh and I don't like it. I don't like the part of you that speaks patois. I don't like it because I don't like myself. 
right? And if we could have a conversation about how difficult it is to like yourself as a black person in a world that is anti-black, then maybe some of these underlying feelings of inadequacy that we're just walking with, maybe some of this animosity that will cause me to kill you over $50, I can let it go. Because I tell you something, a person who will kill, a man who will kill another black man over $50 will not kill a white man over $50. Because he understands the value of a white life. He doesn't understand the value of a black life. And so we have to shift that. Another moment for you to pause and just soak that up. I like having conversations that open my mind up to new perspectives. This is definitely one of them. Um, and for, for, for those now who know of your teaching side, because right. this is your social political side, right. right? What you must do for the community, right. for us to grow as a people, as a nation. But you also lecture. Yes. And you're, you're touching on two critical issues, culture and gender. Mm -hmm. Culture and gender, culture mm -hmm. and gender. What have you learned as you teach others about culture and gender? As I teach others about culture and gender, what I have learned is that the level of distrust between men and women in this country mm -hmm. astronomical. It is ridiculous. The other thing that I've learned is that there's a way that people like to talk about Jamaicans as though we are incapable of change, especially as it pertains to things around gender. A lie. People are capable of changing, people are capable of learning and growing, people are eager to learn and grow. What they have to get around is this feeling that somebody else is going to judge them for having an interest. Uh -huh. So when I have a boy that comes to my class, first of all, he come in, he's tough up. So okay. Hi, welcome to the class. Yeah, miss me, boy, miss me there, but really, you know, them something, you know, miss, them something, you know, miss, you know, no, them something. Yeah. So, so why, why did you sign up for the course, please? Why did you define your terms? Why are you there, right? They want to know, but every time they walk out of the course, they have to walk back into that masculine culture that yeah. is you're going to the gender course, come the lady telling them something, you shut Halfway through the semester, all of a sudden, his language starts to change, his outlook starts to change, he starts to talk more in class, he starts to feel more confident, his relationship with the women in the class change, everything changes. And I'm like, this is the thing. Gender can shift culture. Culture can expand our understanding of gender, but people need to feel like they have a safe space. There's this boy, and I will not call his name, but Lord, I am so proud of him. So, he is in the course, right? Typical at boy, and I just sit. Mm -hmm. You know, the Adidas <laughs> with the three stripes and everything, hats, 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 right? Play football and everything. And he was in the class one day, and he and I were just talking, and a student girl came in to talk to me. And she left, and as she was walking out, he said something to her like, yo, your body still good, or something like that, right? And I stopped him and I said, why you say that to her? Me suppose she don't know, I suppose somebody not tell her, so she put I'm like, you think she don't know? I was like, do you know what it's like walking on the road as a woman? From your age, they're telling you, they're outlining and defining your body to you. You don't need to do that to her. Then Miss Omega talked to her and said, so have a nice day. He wanted to say something nice to her. I never knew what else to say. But he couldn't figure out what else to say. So I said, all right, fine, we're done. I sit down in my office and mind the business. I pong, 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 my computer, go on and make the work. I <laughs> said, the girl, come up. She said, look here. I said, what is it? She said, you see that course the way I teach? You need to teach it more. She said, well, the boy find her and apologize to her. Mm -mm. He found her and he said, listen, I don't know if you heard what I said, but I told you that your body was nice and I apologize because I should not have commented on your body like that. What I meant to say to you is you look nice today. Have a nice day. Right? She said she nearly bald because oh she had God. never thought that a boy, a little youth man, could have get to the point where he might do something like that. But that's the thing is, 
people are capable of growing and people are capable of changing. The other thing that I wish that we could take when it comes down to culture and gender is to ask what does Jamaica have to teach the world about how gender is done? Because there is a way that we do gender here that is specific to us, right? When you go in on the dance hall, the type of femininity that you see in the dance hall, you are only seeing it there. There's a reason that Cardi B is trying to mimic it. There's a reason that Rihanna is trying to mimic it. There is a way that women in the dance hall have an understanding of their body and themselves. And when a woman can talk over her own body and decrease that she's a goodie, mm-hmm. she can affirm the goodness of her body in her everyday talking that is specific to us. So, yeah, great. Them have, Europeans have fit everything what they might do and they might export all of the something to we. What do we have to give to the world? Because there's something we have to teach to the world. What do Jamaican men have to teach to the world? Answer the question. Like, what, 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 what do I have to teach? Tell me. Jamaican men have long functioned outside of the parameters of traditional masculinity just on the basis of how they put themselves together and how they look. Right? When, no, and this is something I use in my thesis. You know. When Pocho used to have on the linen with the little bit of the little, the little tool material where you use on the veil and the little cut work on it sometimes you have shabba with like a leopard, leopard right here so and a floral right here so whatever no european man was ever going to try to wear that so first of all the understanding of what a man look like say so it's just this something a gray and brown and blue jamaican man born out that long time because the man they have to eat about color right and cue, the thing, cue any image you have in your mind about cable time <laughs> <laughs> and then you come forward now and it's like, no, but you're not beautiful. On a eyebrow well tweezed, on a face well tranquil, on a very beautiful. Cake soak, walk with your, sh- your shoes brush in your, in your back pocket or your toothbrush. What do we have is something when they're putting on the The door of the um, S-curl. Yes. Right. Now that you say it, my father was one of those. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I never thought about it. My yes. mom used to make a joke that if he got dressed, went out to the bar, I can't go work, yes. you know, but go out to the bar and somebody step on your shoes and go and bed over, change your clothes, and, and come back again. again. And that's it. So it's like this idea that men, before America or Europe gave us the metrosexual, we did have the dapper. Mm. So we were setting that trend from however long. If you look at the type of masculinity that like all of Dexter Daps are here right now, the man over here says a bad man, and then the man over here says with a love to you. And he says, so, me not sure. You is a good man or you is a lover man. You is the two of them at the same time. I mean, Dexter is very specific. He's singing a love song, but it's not to the woman per se. It's to her area. Right? Let's be honest with ourselves. But that is a whole different opera and a different paper and a different crystal show. So, me I tell you. So, it's like, I wish that we wouldn't treat things like gender as received. As a conversation that we are just now starting to have mm-hmm. we have been innovating ways of being human from time immemorial and at any day when we can step in and we can self-validate how we are then we can actually get a handle on who we are then we can get a firm grounding on our cultural products and then we can start start make the body yes. yeah it's an entire relationship with self yes with cultural artifacts and then with pricing and, mm-hmm. and, and making sure that, that mm-hmm. value comes into us. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing how all those things we experience and we observe it on social media as a point of entertainment, sometimes a point of ridicule, mm-hmm. are really communicating other things about confidence and self-worth mm-hmm. or a lot thereof. Yes. Um, 
And we just tune it out. Yes. Because nobody taught us how to look through those lenses. Nobody did. Carla, you're opening my mind. My spirit too is opened up. But my mind, like I'm now hungry to understand all these other things about gender, which move beyond a quota for parliament, right? Because when we talk about gender issues, that's sometimes where it stops. Yes. We need more women in the boardroom. And yes. that's where the victory is going to be. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's all those conversations about the body, about our language, how we describe ourselves, how mm -hmm. we exist in relation to other people that has no wowed me. So question is, you have a next government job because I feel like you must always have a government job. You <laughs> must always have work to Jamaica. <laughs> you, know, you need a government, you need a next government job. I am so. open yes. and if universe want to manifest one and drop it in my lap, just right here. <laughs> She's right ready. Here. I'm ready. Like literally, I have the outfits. Um, <laughs> no, so I do consultancies. I do various social justice consultancies. Um, I have no full-time government job, but I'm usually working on something that's designed to, to make life easier for people and to make Jamaica more livable for people. But yeah, these are my hands right now, and I'm ready. I'm Good. willing. Final question I'm going to ask you, and I am asking that question for all my guests is about fear. What's the biggest fear that you've had to kill? The biggest fear that I've had to kill is that I would never live up to my full potential and I would die as a cautionary tale to what happened to people who had greatness in them but never manifested it. How oh, you kill it? I had to recognize in myself that my life had started. I would always feel like I was on the edges of my life and my life just wouldn't start. Everybody's life looked like it was in progress and mine just wouldn't start. And one day I sat down and I did an audit with myself and I said, what did you do this year? And when I wrote it out, it was a magnificent list. And then with that I said, stop this, your life is in progress. You're already affecting people's lives. You're already inspiring people. You're already achieving the things that you want to achieve. You may not be getting the financial benefits from it yet, and it may not be on a scale that you want, but you are already doing it. So you could never be a cautionary tale because your potential is living outside of you as your reality now. You have to stop. Wow. Wow. That's a powerful note to end on. Thank you so much, Carla Moore. Everything. She's everything. Whatever you have in your head as what a woman could be, positively, she's that. Close your eyes and imagine that somebody just walked into the room with a clean hand and a powerful voice, but a voice that resonates, I think, in the deepest crevices and corners of the soul of every man and woman. Follow her online. Give us your, your social media handles again. Not just funny online. Everything. Where can I find all things? So you can find me on Instagram at more mayhem, M-O-O-R-E, mayhem, because that's my daddy name and I use it everywhere. And also motivation, because motivation. And also honey online, J-A. And I'm on Facebook at more talk, J-A, and honey online. And if you want to go and look at the longer videos, because I had a vlogging career before we start dropping them on Instagram, I'm on YouTube country from a long time. You know that thing where you streamline all your soapnames so and then the one they have the one handle? Didn't do that. <laughs> Didn't do it. Right? But you you just look for Carla Moore Jamaica. All those things will probably come up. But if you go to More Mayhem, it will link you to everything else. Okay. And if we want to order the Honey and Lime products, we go straight to your Instagram page straight or there. the Facebook page. Yes. And we made the orders and we ship Worldwide. Worldwide. I have a shop set up on Facebook. You can order right there on Instagram. Anything that you want. And also, if there is anything that you don't see, I will get and or make it for you. What? I said it was my final question, but now I have another final question. Yeah. Having spoken to me, because you said it earlier out that you don't prescribe stones for people until you talk to them. Yes. What stone would, would you give me? What's, what's a stone for crystal? It's hard to say because you're... 
you're already so balanced like your energy feels very balanced and it feels like all of your chakras are working so if i were to give a stone to you i would probably give you a protective stone like a tourmaline not because i think like anybody's going to attack you but because i feel like you are literally you're birthing yourself and then you are giving life to other people and when you give like that there's a way that you can burn yourself out and so to help you manage your energy and keep some of it internal so you can make sure that you're giving to people from your excess i would give you a tourmaline because when you care deeply around the world like that there's a way that you would use your light to illuminate everybody else but you have to come back to self and if anything i would probably give you something like an amethyst because it can only help to have your third eye open and to have discernment mm. and i think where you are, there are many opportunities that will come to you and it's very very important for you to have discernment so you can know which one is right for you and which one is not. Yeah. I want, if you're not watching the video, just imagine me like the open ball because that's exactly what I know that I need. How to get it, I don't know. So maybe it is that groundation in me that's going to get me there. Yeah. Um, and I got a gift. Yeah. Thank you. So explain, explain this one to me. So um, we do bangles. She, well, well, let me tell you what she said to me off air. It make nice because she likes so like rolling cap. Yes. When she at home. Everything for <laughs> Everything I for make nice. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I this one I gave you a bangle and it has um, be the change you want to see in the world because I feel like you do a lot of leading by example and I feel like the way that you share yourself with people is also you leading by example and I've benefited from it like there are ways that you tell me about things that you even do in your family settings that I'm like that's a really good idea I should try that like the end of the day check in to be like how, how could you have had an excellent day today yeah. right thank you yeah also the tree of life because literally i feel like you're a life affirming life giving person and i feel like people like that deserve and need to be rooted so that you can pull and redistribute and also an anchor because it's important that we have grounding especially in a time like this and especially as your star rises you need grounding but not the type that is going to keep your tied down and lock up in place May I ask you from now, like if me there and number one come here, yeah. Come here. Yeah. Can I just come here? Come here. Yeah. But feel like you're one of those persons who may want to come here. Yeah. Yes, as long as you're not afraid of that. No, I'm not afraid of that. I'm hungry. Yeah. I'm afraid of them there, right? You think you're like a poodle? One pedigree, one pedigree, mm -hmm. and one mongrel. Not the mongrels are vicious. I'm telling you, best protectors for your yard. Yes, he's very friendly. He okay. has some. He has some social anxiety, so it's fine. <laughs> Thank you Thank so you. much for talking to us on Good Gas Mondays for sharing good energy. And I think the beautiful thing about it is, if we want some other energy, we can find you yes. and you send it to us. Yes, and and I'm I'm so excited at what 2019 has in store for each and every person who chooses to consciously live, like. Put, put your, your mind to it and consciously live. Show up, be present, and do things deliberately if they're aligned to your purpose. Carla Moore, ladies and gentlemen, I think she could be all things to all people, but more importantly, she's all things to herself, which is where the Olawi need to start. Remember to subscribe to the podcast if you have not already to get brand new episodes every Monday on your phone. Of course, you can also catch us online for a few of them. And I'm so happy that Carla's interview is one of those that you have the video element so you can feel and not just hear, but see what she brings to the table. I'm Crystal Tomlinson and I say thank you again for allowing me a moment of time to just pour some good energy and some good gas into your system. Love and blessings to you. Thank <laughs> you.
This episode of Good Gas Mondays was brought to you by Megamart, best value by far. If you're in Jamaica and looking to grab a copy of my book, Kill Fear, The Art of Courageous Living, then be sure to stop by any Megamart store across the island. Megamart Waterloo, Portmore, Mandeville, and Montego Bay.